0: This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit UBCP.com. That's UBCP.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit wwwpatreoncom podcast Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry. Namely, the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Firminger, and today I am so, so happy to welcome Gwyneth Walsh to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast feel like i have to stand up sit up straighter when i say your name gwyneth walsh gwyneth walsh is an accomplished award-winning actress with a diverse and impressive filmography her credit list includes animation science fiction heavy drama christmas movies rom-coms crime procedurals mysteries and basically everything in between. Did I miss any genres there? Gosh, that makes me sound better than I thought I was. There's so much there. Well, here are some highlights. She played Chief Forensic Pathologist, Dr. Patricia Da Vinci, on the legendary series, Da Vinci's Inquest voiced Doris the Spider on the popular cartoon Beat Bugs and is known around the world for her portrayal of Betor, one of the iconic scheming Duras sisters on Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Generations, and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Gwyneth held her own and then some acting opposite people like Sir Patrick Stewart and Malcolm McDowell, and she's a favorite at Star Trek conventions. She's even been known to attend conventions in full Betor costume. And FYI, Gwyneth, I'm probably going to ask about that costume. Okay, you can. (laughs) People usually do. Yeah, it's got a lot of questions. Mm. Um, Today we're going to get to know this remarkable thespian. We're going to deep dive into her actor origin story, discuss the years she spent in Dr. Patricia da Vinci's medical scrubs, and get the inside scoop on playing one of the most baddest, boldest, bravest women in the final frontier. Gwyneth Walsh. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Um, we're sitting here faced by all my Star Trek figurines. I promise that I'm not going to spend the entire time <laughs> talking about Star Trek. Actually, I'm, I'm very curious though about, like, let's start with some time travel. Okay. Uh, let's go back in time guess maybe to, like, what what are the earliest indications that you were a performer? Like, are we going back to your your childhood? I
1: think so. Okay. So um, where are
0: we going? Let's paint a picture.
1: Um, well, I guess maybe the first time I sort of thought, oh, I can like this, and maybe I'm not too bad at it, was in grade four oh. um, when we did, now for the life of my, I can't remember whether it was a Christmas show or just some sort of show at school, but I was um, the narrator and um, I did okay, and uh, and I thought, oh, I kind of like this. And I think um, I didn't you know, I didn't study acting as a kid. Um, I grew up here in Vancouver my my I was born in Manitoba, but my family came out here before oh. I started school. so which neighborhood? Um, West Van um, okay. right off Taylor Way um, and uh. Uh, so I went to Westman Secondary and um which I'm not even sure whether that's around anymore. I think it might have shut down. I think there's Hillside and, and something else. Um and then when I was when I was in grade eight we had this fabulous homeroom slash drama teacher who you maybe have come across, and he might have been on the show, I'm not sure, Chris Turrell, who did a lot of work with Pal okay. and, um, you know, was uh, was a good friend of Bill, he's still alive, um, is a good friend of Bill Millard's and did a lot of work at the Arts Club. Yeah. Anyway, we did this, um, we constructed our own play in grade eight, and it was kind of an, uh, I guess, an origin story. It was called Electrogenesis, and... um, Sounds
0: very sci-fi. It
1: was. Well, you know, this was a while ago, and um, so I played uh, Blanche, who was theoretically Noah's wife, and... I don't remember how this happened, but James Beard, who at that time was reviewing drama for the Province, came and reviewed the show. I, you know, I'm not sure why that happened, and he gave me a glowing review, which Uh-oh. I could probably, <laughs> I'm probably going to embarrass myself by telling you that I still have that phrase no, that's in my head, you know, which is with, um, with some luck and not too many not too much success to spoil her. This is a girl who could one day be a fine actress. She listens every moment she's on stage. So I'm paraphrasing a little, but that's pretty close to it. So, I'm
0: sorry, and this was like a junior high oh, yeah. play? I don't, a, a reviewer from the big paper in town came to... I think, I don't know whether Chris Tyrrell know him
1: or knew him or somebody else knew him. I do not know. Um, you know how that happened. And this is a guy who ended up doing the cooking reviews of James Beard. Um, But so kind of him. Um, I don't think I can tell you whether or not I really was any good. But um, that, I think, got the bug um, firmly settled in my brain.
0: Wow. So did you come from creative people? Did you grow up around art?
1: No, not really. Um, My mother was a teacher. um, And my dad worked in finance. Uh, He was very... Verbal, and um, I know my mother sort of thinks that I might have inherited that from him. I don't know what's nature, what's nurture, mm. um, and but I think the thing that I liked about acting. Um, I was a pretty emotional child as perhaps we all are and I had a very loud voice which got me into trouble <laughs> because I was always speaking too loudly and I'm I, sorry
0: I'm laughing because I recognize something in myself and also my daughter in that in the like and those are those are qualities that I think especially in w- young women need to be embraced and celebrated you indeed
1: know? and and unfortunately I think we we squash um, yeah. young girls I'm um, my favorite age for young girls is sort of when they're like 11-ish, when they're still really cultish and Mm. they haven't really become adolescents and presumably they haven't developed too much physically and they still think they can do everything and society's impressions of them are not imposed upon them yet. And it seems to disappear. But yes, I, I think my mother was always telling me to be quiet or be more in a gentle way but uh, telling me to be more uh, restrained mm-hmm. and I loved the idea of just being able to feel whatever I wanted to feel and it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my phrase for it always was sort of emotion without repercussion. Mm-hmm. So that's I, I think that's why you know what I liked about it. My my second desire would have been to be a vet because I'm one of those animal nuts but i I think I didn't think I was quite smart enough um, to get the biology down, and you have to be really smart to be a vet. I think it's tougher to get into vet college than it is to be a doctor these yeah, days. Yeah, I
0: wanted to be a vet until um, uh, one of our one of our dogs got hit by a car, <gasps> and uh, and she survived, but th- I was like, I mean, I was five years old, you know, and her like she. Broke her hip and oh. it was it was really bad. I'm like, oh, being a vet is not just petting dogs all the time and giving them treats and cuddles and walks. It's you have to deal with the blood and bones mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. yeah. Well I was, I'm sorry because I I love talking about animals. Do you have pets?
1: I so? do. Yeah. I have a dog. um uh, Our dog is named Dennis. He uh, originally comes (laughs) from... I don't know why that's funny. It is funny. Um, No, Dennis uh, came (laughs) with his name. He came from Taiwan. And uh, we'd had a slightly bigger dog before. And near the end of his life, uh, he developed this condition called degenerative myelopathy. And weirdly enough, I saw a dog with that as I was walking down here. You don't see it that often. Myelin is the coating over the nerves that protect the nerves and basically as that starts to degrade, the brain and the body can't communicate anymore. So they start to lose control of their back end and that For sort of thing.
0: Someone who has said that she didn't think she was smart enough to be a vet, you are really delivering this. This language very
1: well. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, he was a you know he was a bigger dog. He was like sixty to sixty five pounds, and I was thinking I don't want to be hoisting a sixty five pound dog, mm. and I don't want my husband, who is older, to be hoisting a sixty five pound dog, ten to fifteen years down the line when you reach that point. Yeah, and w- we had been to the SPCA because I believe in rescuing dogs. Yeah. No insult to people who want to have a. a a, a bred dog, but I like to rescue them myself and they were all either really big or really small. Yeah. So there's this theoretical breed called Formosa Mountain Dogs that are native to Taiwan. <gasps>
0: Okay.
1: And they're starting to be very popular.
0: Okay. Was it a big challenge to get the dog over from Well, home no, or? we
1: we didn't have to. That's what the adoption agency does. Oh, okay. it. They they fly them into Seattle and then someone drives down and picks them up and brings them over the border.
0: How has Dennis been with the with the pandemic? Because I've heard that that dogs have really because we're, we are around more. We're not going out as much. That because I have cats, so mm-hmm. my cats are more like, Get out of my space, what are you doing here? Uh, through the pandemic, but has Dennis been like, you know, I, I more clingy or I need space? Have you noticed any no. psychological impact yet on Dennis? Well, my husband, I love I, saying his name, by the way.
1: I know it's so much fun, <laughs> and indeed, sometimes he is a menace, as per the cartoon. Um, my husband and because he's an actor too, we're both Chris home Britton. a lot, mm-hmm. and so our lives haven't changed that much. He's never. Never been... I think I don't think we've ever left him with anyone else yet. We we wouldn't have done that um, in the first. while. he's a bit of a you know a, a Velcro dog. He's a bit of a clingy dog. Anyway, yeah. Um, he's always uh, looking for affection, so he's just the same as he's always been.
0: Okay, yeah. good. I'm glad that there is a realm of existence on this planet that is not feeling the impact of the of the pandemic, and it's Dennis. It is yeah. yes. Dennis <laughs> is
1: holding the fort for normals.
0: And thank you, everybody, for allowing me to have that segue about dogs. (laughs) I love it so much. But, you know, at what point, though, did you articulate, I want to be an actor, you know, and then actually start to make moves towards towards being that, you know, because it's one thing about just kind of dreaming about it. And it's another thing to actually like to start doing the work and also telling your parents that this is the thing that you want to do as well. I think my um, I think my parents were pretty
1: supportive. Yeah. Um, the only thing my mother said was she wanted me to have a degree mm-hmm. to fall back on, so I ended up going to the University of Alberta. I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts, for what that's worth. Um, I guess it was yeah, as I moved through high school and. Um, yeah I was uh, I was in the dramas, I was in the musicals and then um, my parents weren't in a position where they could pay for my university. so I took a year off and I worked at the Royal Bank uh, downtown at Georgia and Burrard and I saved up my money and I auditioned for I auditioned I think well I tried to audition for York University. And for some oh. reason, there was the, the uh, person who was holding the auditions never turned up. I don't quite know what happened. We were all meeting in the Georgia Hotel, and we were, there was supposed to be some audition, and it just didn't happen. Um, I think I auditioned for NTS and did not get in. And um, I auditioned for the University of Alberta, and I did get in. Hmm. So then I went uh, to Edmonton. I was... Um, I graduated from high school when I was quite young, when I was sixteen, oh. which because uh, they were still doing accelerated uh, programs right. then. So I was pretty socially inept, I think, um, and. Uh, Ironically, some of my U of A classmates were sort of having one of those Zoom get-togethers, which we haven't done before, um, just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we were—I was commenting on how I felt that I was so young that I didn't really absorb uh, some of the training that was offered to me because I was too busy trying to figure out who I was. Yeah. But I think that's the nature of the beast. I think we're we're all like that. I sometimes envy the. I think being a child actor is a very difficult path, mm. but I kind of envy the kids that start that young because I think they work more instinctively,
2: mm.
1: and sometimes uh, sometimes, your head gets in the way. Your, your training sort of uh, superimposes itself on you, and on cameras especially, not necessarily on stage, but on camera being able to just be really present in the moment and able to respond to whatever's coming at you and perhaps surprise yourself about what you thought you might or might not be doing in the scene I think is a real gift.
0: Yeah. What kind of career did you want for yourself when you first began studying?
1: Oh gosh.
0: Well I think
1: I, I purely thought that I would be on stage. Mm. I, I didn't think of doing film or television because there wasn't that much of an industry in in Canada at that time. Um, and I, you know, I ended up, I, I worked at Stratford. I, you know, I, I, I was at the Charlottetown Festival. I spent a lot of time in sort of the regional theater mm. circuit in Canada. And I still think it's my first love. Um, I try and do a play a year, I'm not always successful doing that, but I try and do that because um, there's no filter between you and the audience yeah. and you get that connection and you get to craft your performance, obviously with the help of your fellow actors and the director, but uh, as as you probably know um, from the people you've talked to, it, your role is is created in the editing room when you work on camera. Mm. So you can be doing amazing stuff and um, it'll be the back of your head. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, I've had the experience, um, I think sometimes when you're number three or four or whatever on the call sheet, where you're a stronger actor than the lead mm. and they don't want the scene to be off balance so your role gets trimmed and again that is a lot of the back of your head in those scenes so I've certainly had that experience.
0: What was the first time in your career, uh, be it when you were either on set or on stage, where you truly felt fully invigorated and fully engaged with the material and maybe kind of a certainty? That you were doing exactly what you were meant to be doing.
1: Oh gosh, um, I don't think I can articulate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't have a light bulb moment um, yeah. that I can think of. I know I loved doing it. Um, I don't think I had one of those that I, I that I can think of. I'm sorry.
0: That's a, that's okay. Yeah. It's your story. Yeah. Um, what was your first time on set?
1: Oh, gosh, I hope I can remember this. Um, I, that was when I was in Edmonton. Oh, it was in
0: Edmonton? Yeah.
1: And if I re- I might not have this right, but if I recall correctly, it was uh, a film that John Giuliani. Directed, and I can't even remember the title right now. And I know it's not on my IMDb page, I don't know what happened to it. And I was just kind of like an extra in the background. Um, but that was it,
0: Yeah. yeah. And what do you remember about you know that, like that first experience of being on set? You know, because I mean, you have spent a lot of your life since on On sets and in front of the in front of the camera, like was there was there some kind of magic there that that you well there's
1: a huge learning curve um, between working on stage and working uh, in front of the camera. I think what i um, I like the fact that you well you can lie in front of the camera, but the camera can see that you're lying and mm. the work is not as good um, I I think my stage background gave me a really good um, analytical uh, ability to break down uh, script and text and understand what I'm doing and understand, oh, how I can flip this if we want the scene to go a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that being on camera forced me to be more honest. I think I was probably somewhat more... I don't think... I don't know whether I was I don't know whether I ever caught myself off guard when I was working on stage when Uh I was younger and I think that's what I again I guess going back to emotion without repercussion I think I enjoyed surprising myself and and finding myself feeling something that I hadn't necessarily anticipated was going to happen and I and I and I loved that.
0: You mentioned that it's it's really difficult to lie on camera.
1: Um, oh, I just mean if you're if you're not really like if you fake cry, yeah, it'll look like you're fake crying, right? So as opposed to it being an honest feeling. Okay,
0: so in the theater, then it's
1: it can be more technical, right? Because the audience, if it's in a in a typical proscenium situation if it's a theater in the round it's a little bit different Um, but uh, you don't necessarily as they always say you don't necessarily have to cry you just have to make the audience cry but on camera especially for women you got to be able to cry
0: (laughs) (laughs) as you're talking about theater i was just thinking about how much i miss i miss going to theater i am right now
1: I am so <laughs> worried about that. I, um, I don't know how all of these companies are going to survive. Yeah. Um, I was speaking to a friend of mine, um, Kevin Bennett, who directed me in King Charles III at the Arts Club. Yeah. And I wasn't aware of this, but Shaw Festival has been able to keep its actors employed sort of doing digital content because some very astute board member a few years ago said, you know, we should get this extra special super duper insurance. Obviously, it wasn't necessarily COVID-19 insurance because who knew that was coming. But I think it was sort of like emergency act of God type of insurance yeah. so they've been able to continue to pay their actors, they're not paid under equity anymore They're yeah. getting and they're getting less but um, I also um, a young actor that I worked with last okay. summer um, in Barefoot in the Park Jonathan Mason had just been accepted into the Birmingham Conservatory mm-hmm. last fall and then it all falls apart and I don't know how they're going to yeah, and take I think, themselves out of those holes I think
0: the fact is that they're not all going to be able to and no. we're going to, to lose and, and I mean I, I know I know what's at stake you know because for me theater is my church it's where I go to have my cathartic experiences mm-hmm. I get to watch people have tragedy on stage and mm-hmm. then cry and then I can walk out and feel like okay I can deal with my life a lot better now because mm-hmm. I saw them deal with it but like you know what do you, what do you think that we, we lose when we don't have active cultural spaces, you know, when, when the theaters are, are dark like this?
1: I think, it's, I think it's a problem. I completely understand from a government perspective, economically, if you're gonna choose between putting money into building another hospital or keeping a theater alive, you're gonna, you're gonna build a hospital, yeah. I get that. But we are social beings we want connection. Um, I think I you know I don't I don't have a psychology background, so I don't really know what I'm talking about. But if there is a collective unconsciousness, I think there is mythology that we respond to the, the hero's journey, etc. As you just said you see people on stage experiencing something and you recognize that within your own life to a greater or lesser agree, degree hopefully it therefore illuminates that situation for you i mean i think it's kind of like it's kind of like a 12 step program yeah. in the sense that oh other people are feeling that so it's okay for me to feel that yeah. i think we lose a lot and Uh, I think they're ahead of us in Britain, in Europe, in terms of their funding of the arts. Mm -hmm. And I think that those, um, I think there will be a higher survival rate over there. I'm worried about Broadway. Um, You know, but uh, it comes with a cost. And and that's why we're all watching, people are all watching Netflix and, and things like that. But I really do believe that there's something about being in, to go sci-fi, in the same space-time continuum when you're experiencing something. And um, I had a colleague who once uh, said that when you're in the theater, collectively, the audience and the actors stop time because Mm -hmm. you create your own little bubble of time yeah. during those 2 hours or however long the play lasts and it's magic and yeah. and i think the majority of us need to have some kind of version of that experience whether it goes you know it goes back to cavemen around the fire telling stories i think we need to experience life through each other
0: yeah Ugh thank you for putting it so eloquently um, i almost want to cry right now <laughs> well let's hope we don't have to cry for the yeah so. just just from longing um, i in looking at your your filmography and in enjoying you in so many different kinds of roles i see that you have played so many different kinds of characters and you've played you know you've played earnest you know um, passionate dedicated women and um, and a character like Baetor, who is uh, very powerful and like sexual and going to cut you. I, like, what is a Gwyneth Walsh role? Like, what needs to be present in a role for you personally to get excited?
1: Oh, gosh. Um... Probably my agent would be able to answer that, but my husband, Chris, would be able to answer that better than I can. Again, I I I don't know the answer to that. I will tell you that I think the well, I'll preface all of this by saying I've I've not had a career of the level where I've had that much choice. Mm. Um, occasionally, I've been in a position where I've turned down work, but. Not that frequently. Um, my my version of my career, um, if, if actors or horses, I am a Clydesdale. Uh, you know, I pull the bud wagon. I'm really reliable. Yeah, are a working actor. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I'm I, you can trust me. But I don't get to run the Kentucky Derby. Um, you know, I don't. I'm I'm not up at that rarefied level. Um, I think when you're tall and you have uh, a deeper voice, I think you sort of automatically end up being directed into a certain type of role. Um, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, I, Other than that, I don't know. I don't know.
0: What about playing, playing a villain role? Um is it more fun for you to be a hero character or a villain character?
1: I think I've played more villains yeah. than heroes. Um I think generally the villains are more or more fun. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um I'm going to put a pin in talking about Star Trek until later. I want to talk about um want to talk about Patricia. Uh, I literally see Chris Haddock all the time, walking around this neighborhood in his hat. Like, and I'm like, what are the thoughts that are going on (laughs) under his hat? Like one of the most brilliant minds that we have in in Canadian television, just wandering all around Kitsilano. It's amazing to me. Um, No, this was a character who was a chief forensic pathologist, Um, very technical, technical role, big feelings as well like what what were some of the what did what were some of the joys of of playing dr. da Vinci and well, how did you prepare for her
1: I felt so fortunate to be part of that series. Uh, I really think I agree with you about uh, Chris Haddock and I really think it was um, a bit of a sea change in Canadian television yeah. i th- I think it was I I think it upped the game a little, and uh, it was a very subtle show. Um, You had to pay attention as an audience member. That was my first regular series role, and although I wasn't, you know, I wasn't uh, a regular to the extent that Nick or Ian or Donnelly were. I wasn't in every single episode. Um, The I've I'm lucky uh, with Technobabble. I um, I've got I've got good short-term memory and I'm I'm able to memorize that uh, I do remember <laughs> I think this was in the um uh, we shot the first three episodes all together kind of block shooting those and they were trying to do a scene with uh, a dead infant on in the morgue mm. and they had a little baby and you know they put the heating pad on so that the metal wouldn't be cold and they were hoping that the baby would be asleep and the baby would be asleep and they would gently carry her in and they would put her on on the Like a slab, for lack of a better. And every time she, I have my hand.
0: No one can see. i have my hands on my head right now. I'm so stressed. Yeah, no, (laughs) and and we never pulled it off. Like they were hoping, they were hoping to
1: have like one shot where um, it would be a baby, baby. We never managed to do that. We always had to use, (gasps) we always had to use the doll, um, and uh. (laughs) it was you know it was it was great and i loved the people i was working with and um i was i was proud to be associated with that show as i said i think it um i think it served its male characters somewhat better than it served its female characters in Mm. terms of in terms of storylines and um you know, I confess, you know, I think I sort of was uh, chafing at the bit um, to have a little bit more to do. Yeah. But isn't that every actor's uh, complaint unless you're number one and you've got too much to do. Yeah. We all want to do. We all want to do more. But I, I worked with a, a number of really good Canadian directors um, and, it, yeah, I, it was a great show to be associated with. I would prefer that to be in my tombstone than Star Trek I have to say
0: really yeah yeah um the experience of 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 you, i mean you mentioned that you know the female characters and i'm I'm wondering about is there a difference as a, as a woman uh, working with a female director than with a male director like is because i you know that's another part of the industry where they're is vast inequity and inequality. Mm-hmm. there's there are so you know and i'm one of my one of my nearest and dearest is amanda tapping who is like who's fabulous yeah, yeah. And, and she and you know she one of the things that she says is that as a woman director she has she's not and people love working with her uh but you know she you're not allowed to make any mistakes you know and and um because it's you, like there's no failing up. You have to be you have to be perfect. And anyway, that's from her perspective as well. Oh I a, agree. As, as it's a like a the it's Direct- like the
1: Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers. She did exactly the same moves yeah. but backwards. And in a dress uh, yeah. with a train and heels. Um, have you worked with a lot of women directors. Not that many. The only one I worked with on Da Vinci was Anne Wheeler, Anne Wheeler. and and she was one of the first. Yeah. And Anne is really tough, mm. um, and uh, tough in a good way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what, as Amanda said, I think that's frequently what female directors have to do. They have to really toughen up because. Um, They're going to get second-guessed all the time. And um, on, uh, I'm senile, Gail Harvey. Gail Gail Harvey. Harvey. um, I've worked with a a handful of times on Virgin River. And I watch, I'm not going to name names, but um, other people on the show are always questioning what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and suggesting, well, why don't we do this? Or why don't we do that? And and she and I have sort of had conversations where she's spoken about exactly the same thing. And I guess you figure out the hills you're going to die on yeah. and the ones that it's not worth it to, to fight the battle. Yeah. And you're going to come across... Uh, People who are not flexible and people who don't necessarily want to collaborate in every field, yeah. and but there are a lot of them in the film industry, and yeah. it's a very hierarchical uh, system, and. Um, I've always felt for a long time that there should be a little Chiron at the bottom of the screen sort of saying you don't know that there was a huge fight between the ad and the <laughs> you know and, and someone else just before this scene was shot and everyone had to somehow get that out of their head before doing this romantic moment yeah because um, it's trucky, tricky I'm sorry there's there's all the um, there's all the extraneous stuff happening on a set that you have to be able to tune out. To get back into doing what you're doing
0: yeah but i not I, in, and it's not present in theater in quite the same way
1: um there's not as many female theater directors as there are men I mean yeah. uh, there's you know and there's there's a tendency in a lot of again I'm not gonna say any names I mean <laughs> there are some directors who like to have a scapegoat and that's in theater and that's on sets and they can be difficult to work with
0: yeah um how do you think covid is is going to change this industry and and the craft especially the work that actors do have you thought about that at all is you know i mean some sets are reopening actors are putting auditions on tape now you know i i'm still
1: kind of baffled by how it's going to move forward. I've had uh, a handful of self-tapes. I keep reading about the insurance issue mm. and I am wondering whether these projects that I'm auditioning for um, have insurance or not. Cause I understand that Hallmark is back with all of its Christmas movies. Maybe they just because I, from what I gather every insurance company has a COVID exclusion clause unless it was insurance that was started before this all happened so if you're a series that had your insurance from season one and you're now in season two you're okay yeah so I'm still kind of baffled by that I don't think you know because I'm older I don't think there's going to be that many love scenes for me so I don't think I have to I have to worry about that I think it's going to be really hard for makeup artists because yeah. they're touching our faces all the time. Um, I I don't know. Yeah. I think there's going to be smaller casts. I wonder whether they will write fewer roles for older actors because they are in a higher risk category mm. and they don't want to take that chance. Yeah. Um, I. But on the other hand, sometimes Restrictions cause great creativity, and I guess I'm hoping that script writers will be able to find a way to figure their way out. But yes, I, my husband and I watch uh, watch okay. something. We're going, yeah, no, you're not going to see that again. You're not going to see that again. Yeah, you know, huge crowd scenes and things like that. I, big spectacle. Um, I hope it doesn't lead to more of, oh, I don't, I can't even remember what they call them. But, you know, for example, when they use James Dean all the time, when they, when they. Oh, yeah. uh, I can't think of the technical term for what that process is, but where they kind of use fake actors.
0: Yeah. Um well, the CG or face yeah. fa- uh, face replacement. Yeah, the same
1: thing as as as, uh, as they do in a lot of video games now. Yeah. And the avatars are, are fabulous. But I can always tell. And back to what we were talking oh, the uncanny about valley. in theater. Yeah. I think, you know, just through ourselves, we know that's not another human being. Yeah. So I think our response to it on some, some very root level has to be different.
0: Yeah, it's such a it's such a tough call, though, because on one hand, on, on one hand, I, I love the content. I want the new content and I want everybody to work. But on the other hand, I'm wondering, is it too soon? Is it too soon? Are we putting too much pressure on going back to work to get the economy going? I know it's a little bit different here than it's than it is in the States. We don't have that. We have flattened the curve and planked the curve. But I'm just wondering, is it worth it? To go back and you know and and are all these things that we're doing is this going to be the new normal, you know, or is it going to be like 1918, 1919, and you know like it did change things, but there's a little bit of you know normalcy back to the way things were before.
1: I'm I'm no scientist, uh, so I have no idea when uh, we'll be able to come up with a vaccine yeah. or an effective treatment. I am concerned about in Canada what we will get access to, because I...
0: Oh, you mean of the vaccines yes, and stuff? Yes, yeah. depending
1: upon where it's developed. Yeah. If it's, I think it's sadly to be expected that every country is going to look after its own citizens first. Yeah. Um, and then they... Some of them will be generous at, at sharing the wealth. There will be other countries depending upon their leaders that will not be so generous. Yeah. And what did there's that story in the news today about Russia hacking into um, oh, yeah. the UK and the US <laughs> and Canada
0: to find uh, vaccine uh, information. To, uh, to find yeah. vaccine
1: research. <laughs> and um, I um, I well, I just Ray, that Donald Trump is not reelected. Um, I'll join you in that. Yes, I'll join um, you in that although I, I think there's kind of, uh, I think there's going to be a pro America uh, stance from Biden as well, but I, I think he at least is a man that has some compassion. He has
0: empathy and compassion yeah. and like I I am rooting for America. Yeah. I really am. Yeah. There's a lot of people that I love down there and it's Well you know, I li-
1: it's, I lived uh, I spent a lot of time in LA sort yeah. of back and forth down there and I have a lot of friends down there and I I I love Los Angeles. I loved California and it just breaks my heart to see yeah. what's happening down there and we have we certainly have people up here who don't want to wear masks who yeah. are but i think there is a higher percentage of the population down there who seem to get incredibly offended at at any restrictions and that's not going to help anything
0: it is not that is not going to help anything at all i i know that um a lot of a lot of my early actions in the early days you know beyond protecting my husband and daughter were I want to make Dr. Bonnie happy, and <laughs> she would just stand up there and be speak with such compassion, you know, and about that we have to be kind to ourselves and kind to others, and that we can get through this together. And I, I feel like they need a figure like her in America who can really like speak to everybody, you know, that this is a this is a human issue. It's not a an us versus them or a right versus left issue, you know.
1: I'm a huge fan of Dr. Bonnie yeah. Henry as well. I, I, I expect her to be... If she, I don't think she's a member of the Order of Canada, but I think she's going to be pretty shortly. She better be. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> I think
1: Fauci is doing a great job. It's just he's being sidelined. Um, I don't think he's... Bonnie Henry, I agree with you, is exceptionally empathetic oh, yeah. and sensitive. And she's so soft-spoken. And I think... That makes people uh, love her more. And I don't know whether it makes them listen to her more. Maybe it does, but yes, yeah. um, I, I'm, <laughs> if she can help them, I I hope they listen to her. Yeah,
0: that was actually the um, the my daughter and I, I helped her write a fan letter to Doctor Bonnie. Oh, that's You wonderful. know, just like thanking her and and you know, just like and she wrote like just tell everybody that that they should wear masks. You know, because it protects all of us, including people like my daddy. And,
1: well, yeah. be kind be calm, be safe. It's so great. It's so great. I actually, I have a uh, t-shirt. You do? (laughs) Yes, you can buy them. I will tell you, uh, you can get them at this store called Parliament on, I think it's on Water Street (gasps) down in Gastown. And um, they're, uh, a lot of the money, I think it goes to either the food bank or a homeless shelter. Fantastic. And um, uh, they're just very simple. Uh, it's just sort of the heather gray with the lettering on it. Fantastic. And
0: well, uh, see if I can find a link to that online, and then we can put it in the footnotes for this episode. Yeah.
1: No, yeah. I, I I got one for my sister and one for me.
0: That's so good. That's yeah. great. Okay. Well, um let's talk about Star Trek. I was going to
1: say, is it Star Trek time? Is it
0: Star Trek time? Yes, it is. Now, in episode, no, we're not going to do that. I'm, I'm curious about um, your relationship to science fiction and Star Trek. Um, you know, because it was around decades before you know you you
1: sure.
0: you walked onto the scene. Um, uh, on to Star Trek. Like, what? What was your? What, what were your thoughts about science fiction and about Star Trek and about Gene Roddenberry? You know, well, I before you were part of that universe.
1: Certainly, I remember. I think Star Trek used to be on like at eleven thirty at night or something mm. like that. Yeah. Um, in in reruns, and when I was in university, I remember watching it all and um, and enjoying it as everyone as everyone did and finding it fun. And. I think I grew in my understanding of what Roddenberry had done right mm. as I worked on the show and as uh, I don't think science fiction was necessarily a genre that I thought, "Oh, I have to be in that." Mm. But as I saw other shows after I worked on Star Trek, I realized um how well he had structured things and he really was a humanist and generally it was just like bonnie henry it was compassion and understanding that uh, saved the day Um, Nichelle Nichols um, giving her a leading role at that time which was so unusual Um, you probably know this better than me. Didn't she have an interracial kiss on screen?
0: She did. Uh, yeah. Funnily enough, we were just talking about this yesterday in oh. our 100th episode because she was one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. Mm. And, um, yeah, she was the. it was the very first interracial kiss uh, on television was with William Shatner. They had to fight for it to happen because, of course, the network didn't want that. to allow yeah. it. And the other, the other thing that she told me in that interview, which I found so just... Just incredible Uh, and and staggering was the fact, you know, she'd had this whole other career as a stage actress before Star Trek, and she had wanted to, after the first season, she's like, what, like, I'm just answering the space phone, like, I want to quit, and her friend, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. told her, Please don't quit. You are you are part of this, you know, multicultural, you know, multiracial cast. Uh, people are seeing you on the screens, being part of this vision of the future. And what people see on their screens right now is important. So please stay. And so, and she's very glad that that she did. I agree you know. completely.
1: I, and and I, I, I didn't know that. Um, I mean, I've, I've had encounters with her, but I haven't had that conversations with her. Um, I didn't know she knew um, yeah. Martin Luther King. But, I you know, that's that's what we're talking about now in terms of Black Lives Matter and yeah. representation of, uh, of your existence reflected in the world around you. Yeah. And I think... Not that I'm a huge fan of uh, Donald Rumsfeld, but I have remembered one of the things he said about Iraq. And he said, There are known knowns, there are known unknowns. I
0: remember that. And (laughs) then
1: there are unknown unknowns. And I think we white people. We don't know what we don't know mm. about that, but I have heard a lot of stories about young girls, young black girls seeing Nichelle Nichols and going, oh, maybe that's something I can do. Yeah. And that's exactly the same thing about seeing women, which is something I can speak to, seeing you know, women on screen in roles of authority and little girls growing up going, Oh well, then I guess I could do that. I yeah. could be a lawyer. I could be president. At Gina Davis's show. Um, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, um, uh, I could be Secretary of State. If you don't see it, you don't think that it can happen. Yeah. And um, he created a pretty pretty great universe. By the time I was on the show, I I, I did meet him, but he wasn't hands-on. Rick Berman was running it then. And um, so I had, uh, you know, my my, uh, experience with Roddenberry was very tangential. But, you know, it's, it was mind-boggling to me to realize once I became part of that world how popular it is Mm. and how much it means to people and I'm sure Amanda can can speak to this too. I don't do a lot of conventions. Um, I find it really tiring. Mm. It's like being, I guess, a politician in that you're on the whole time and I feel a tremendous responsibility yeah. to the people who are coming to see me and I can't speak for other genres because I haven't been to other sorts of conventions but there tend to be a lot of people who are physically or mentally disabled who who come to these conventions because I guess there are people who have a lot of time to spend at home yeah. uh, watching TV and um, they project so much onto you that probably you don't deserve, but you just have to do your best to give that back to them. Um, yeah. it, at, the, uh, at the big creation conventions, they really hate it when you personalize them because they want to be able to process people through the line faster. But I always try and do that um, if they want you to do that. And I always try and have a personal connection, But that's what I'm saying in sort of like after after ten hours of that, I'm just wiped,
0: yeah. did you know what you were in for?
1: No, no, I don't think I did. Yeah. And um
0: when did you realize what you, like when did you when did you first first realize that, oh, I'm part of this this thing where people get dressed up and go to conventions and buy toys. and it's it's something I will be part of for for decades to come.
1: Well, I think it was partially um, we were only supposed to be in two episodes, and then um and as a sad sidebar, you probably don't know this, but Barbara March, Barbara who played March, yeah, Barbara March, March, sadly died last September God. um but I think a lot of our success was the relationship that we were able to have on screen mm. and um We didn't really know each other before, but we really clicked as actors, and um, we worked well together, and uh, we knew what each other looked like without makeup, which nobody else (laughs) did, because we had to get there so early in the morning uh, to pull all that gack on. So pretty
0: much the bulk of the people who worked on the show did not know what you actually no. Look no. Like. I think one
1: day uh <laughs> usually we would have really long days. Yeah. Um but one day we were done mid-afternoon and it takes about an hour to take everything off and so we wandered back onto the set and nobody knew who we were. Um and there are there with the trading cards even Paramount doesn't know who we are cuz I don't know whether it's still out there but there's one card that is the picture of Barbara and it's my name. They can't even, they can't even tell who we are. Nobody knows. <laughs> and someone impersonated Barbara at a convention and pretended to be her. Again, because nobody knows what you look like.
0: Yeah. I promised I was gonna ask about the costume. I gotta ask about the costume. Of course. Because I don't think I'd ever seen a costume like that on TV. And I was a very impressionable. You know, I was a prepubescent girl at the time. I'm like, I, I was looking at your boobs.
1: I know, <laughs> I, I understand. Many people were. Very, um,
0: but like fascinated. Because I, I guess I'd also, the fact that, they, I mean, they're right there, but you're so powerful as well. I don't think I'd seen female sexuality presented in that kind of way before either. It's a very confusing time. <laughs> well, I, I
1: I think all of those elements were part of what made the uh, characters so popular, but I think also made the powers that be um, at the show a little wary of us, because it was a family show. And... Um, Uh, I I have told this story before they actually felt that there was too much cleavage in my costume in day one so I had to kind of go back and they sewed a little bit more fabric in because they felt it was a, a, a little too racy to a certain extent I always wondered about it because I thought well your heart's exposed, but uh, so you—you are more—you're uh, more in danger. But on the other hand, what a taunt to your enemies to go here. I am. You think you can kill me? You just try. Yeah. Um, again. I don't think I can speak to my unconscious uh, approach to the role other than to tell you that that Barbara and I sort of thought of them as Goneril and Regan in space because mm-hmm. uh, we both have a Shakespeare background. and we just had fun. We yeah. just had fun.
0: And you got to play with with uh, another somebody else from the Shakespeare world as well, Sir Patrick Stewart.
1: He was. Delightful. Yeah, he was lovely.
0: Yeah. What What did you learn from your, like, how do you think your time in the Star Trek sphere has changed you as an actor, or how has it like impacted your craft or even your approach to the business? I
1: don't think it really has. Um, uh, I think if you were to talk to Michael Dorn, um, he might say the same thing. When you're an actor behind all that makeup you really are a character. And mm. it's not as if anybody, in terms of my career, it's not as if anybody's gonna look at that and go, oh my gosh, I want Gwyneth as the lead in my next film. That's not the way it works. Um, I don't think, it, now maybe this is because I'm not that good at self-promotion. You know, Maybe I should've hired a publicist or something like that. But I don't think it really made that much difference to my career uh, at all. Um, because it was such a specific character, a specific type of work. It's not something that you can translate into something else.
0: Yeah. Well, I was thinking even in terms of of the fans, you know, and having an awareness of fans that you might not have had an awareness before, just because I include myself in that. No, we we were we were so vocal and so mm-hmm. adoring, and so I mean. I I went to um, the Mzadi tour in like 1992 at an airport hotel in Toronto in my in my uniform to meet Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis right. um, and it was I know that like this is before the internet you know but it was such a, a joy just to be able to gather there with other people who like the same thing that I did and and you know I'm just I'm just even wondering if like you know being part of something that has a fandom like that you know imp- how that touches you or impacts
1: you? Well, in one way, it's really great because when you work on camera, you don't necessarily, you don't get to meet your audience. So um, through your interaction with the fans, you're getting to know who you're you're, uh, reaching. And and that's a good thing. Um, I've always felt that... um, star trek fans and and this probably is uh, stems from roddenberry and his writing on the show was are very gentle people uh i used to make a joke that you know i didn't think that any of them were going to be the kind of people who would you know go postal for lack of a better phrase and you know take a gun and start shooting up their yeah. co-workers i think they're they're um you know they're they're gentle good people Empathetic, um yeah, yeah. um You know I'm not I, I, I'm not very good at i'm a I, I'm an introvert i'm I'm not a very public person, yeah. so I don't think I'm very good at assessing what fandom uh, did for me because I think I probably didn't welcome it that mm. much. Yeah. you know, I think there are actors who are extroverts and and love all that stuff and and there are actors who are introverts who uh, prefer being a character and getting to hide behind that and I'm one of that category.
0: Yeah. Oh, could we talk a bit about I mean you you mentioned the exper- the experience and you talked about Michael Dorn as well. You have the, ma- the the big makeup and then you're able to kind of like take it off and then go uh-huh. home. But what about the experience of acting with all of that of that makeup. And I'm assuming you had prosthetics and and heavy costume and everything. Oh, it was heavy, yeah. Yeah, so so is that a
1: does that serve? Oh, yes. It really helps to tell you who you are. Yeah. I I don't know whether I could play her without all that makeup.
0: Yeah.
1: Um I think I would feel foolish because that costume and, and our huge boots and the wig and the teeth and the clamshell, as we call it, on the forehead. The
0: clamshell. The
1: clamshell, yes. Wow. Um Yesterday so, we
0: were talking about chicken cutlets as well, which I'd never heard the term before. Oh, chicken cutlets, yeah. <laughs>
1: clamshell or turtle head. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what I've heard. Um, it does so much of your work for you. Yeah. So in that sense, I I, I was very grateful to to the costume because it it gave me a lot of information.
0: Yeah. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna switch gears. Okay. Um, we are going to play a game. It's, <gasps> it's not really a game. Uh, it's um, you mentioned eleven years old as uh, as being an age where you know girls are very you know free. Um, I for me that age is nine. Well, I've, I was going
1: to say nine to yeah. eleven. It might be your daughter's nine. My, yeah. Okay, so
0: that's that's where I'm leading to. So I have a nine year old daughter and. Um, She developed a game for this podcast called Favorite Things. And they're just questions about your favorite things.
1: So this is like the Proust questionnaire, sort of. Your daughter's version of the Proust questionnaire.
0: Mari Furminger's version of that. Because she feels that the answers to these questions are very revealing about who you are.
1: Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) And I've obviously am supposed to answer spontaneously and not think about it. Okay.
0: uh, Don't panic. Okay. I've had people panic at, like, the first question. All right. All right, so now we're going to play Favorite Things. Okay. Favorite karaoke song. I don't do karaoke. Well, that's, that's yeah, okay. So I wouldn't know. Favorite song.
1: (sighs) Hmm. Uh, okay, the first thing that uh, I went to Annie Lennox, <gasps> and I'm going to Walking on Broken Glass. That's not good. I'm frightened that that was my answer.
0: That's a great answer, though. Also, it's another powerful woman in the aesthetic. Oh, I remember, there are a lot of great, powerful women mm. <laughs> you don't have to, to admire in the 80s and 90s. Favorite junk food?
1: Um, I prefer salty to sweet, mm-hmm. so um, I really like tamari almonds, and sometimes I eat potato chips, but they have to be ripple. I oh. only like ripple potato chips.
0: It They do taste different when they're rippled.
1: Well, they're thicker. Yeah. There's more potato. There's more
0: potato. <laughs> Favorite superhero?
1: Well, I guess it would have to be Wonder Woman, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah. Favorite supervillain? Oh... Oh,
1: I don't know. Dracula, I guess, when oh. Frank Langella was playing him.
0: Oh. We haven't heard that one on the show before. Oh, I like okay.
1: it. Favorite TV show when you were nine? When I was nine. um, Gosh, I can't remember. I don't know. I can't remember what I was watching. What did I like? Um... I don't know the answer to that. If I think of it, I'll come back to it.
0: Okay, okay. I'll give you my, you have my email, you can email me and I'll tell my daughter. Um, favorite movie when you were nine?
1: Well, recently I just watched, again, cause I loved it and I probably was watching it around that time, Two for the Road. Oh. Audrey Hepburn, <gasps> oh. Albert Finney. Um, Audrey Hepburn, Yeah, I love Audrey Hepburn. And it's their, uh, it's a couple at various stages in their marriage. And their relationship before yes! they're married, and they're on a road trip um, throughout uh, throughout yes, Europe. Yes. And uh, oh. there's a terrible little girl in it named Ruthie, who is the most spoiled child um, imaginable, and um, she's quite delightful.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I forgot. I was actually named after the Audrey Hepburn film, <gasps> *Sabrina*. *Sabrina*, of course. Yeah. So yes. I, I love Audrey Hepburn. Albert, fin- I got. I remember that from. Um, Saturday Night at the Movies with Elwi Ost on TV on Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, favorite hot beverage?
1: Tea. I don't know why I said that. I should have said coffee. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. I went through a period. I'm an insomniac and Uh. I went through a period in my life where I stopped drinking coffee, but it didn't make any difference. Yeah. Um, But I stopped at like 9 30 in the morning but I have like I have good coffee in the morning yeah. but I guess I like tea you know through yes. the rest of the day your yeah. gut
0: said tea what yeah. kind of tea green yeah yeah I like green tea I like iced green tea um favorite cold beverage
1: um, I call it fuzzy water, um, just sparkling water. I have my little my soda stream. I love sparkling water.
0: Oh boy, Mari's gonna love that answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got one in the, like a, we did this, like, it's called the Elephant Game or something like that. It's a, it's a give it, it's like a uh, present game that you play at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And she won the soda stream and she put a label with, like, with her name on it. So she makes it, she calls it not fuzzy, but spicy water. Yes. And she, like, she pumps it like 10 times and, like, makes a sound. Okay, we're almost at the end. Okay. You're doing great. All right. Okay, favorite vacation destination? Anywhere in Europe. Although,
1: you know, I think I would be more specific. I think I would go London because I like to go see the theater.
0: Yeah. When was the last time you're in London?
1: It was a couple of years ago. Um, I haven't been there. I haven't been there for a while. The last place in Europe I got to was Paris. My my husband and I managed to take a trip there. I'd been there before, but he hadn't. Yeah, it was lovely. Who knows when any of us are going to get back there? I certainly don't feel comfortable getting on a plane right now. Me
0: neither. Yeah, I was there last summer. I was in Paris for the hottest day in the history of Paris. Oh, I remember reading that. The canicule. It was forty-three degrees. We couldn't breathe, but.
1: It's so beautiful there. So I loved beautiful. it, and I practiced my terribly rusty French. Yeah, and uh, and they were and,
0: like they knew you were from Canada. Well, you know, <laughs> uh,
1: some waiters were terrible, but every once in a while, I'd have somebody probably because they wanted me to buy something, telling me how good my French was.
0: You know, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> All right, this is the last question. I think I know the answer though, because we talked about this already. But let's get it on the record. Favorite animal?
1: Dogs. Yeah. Although I really like horses, but I never had one. You yeah. see, so I don't have, I don't have the relationship.
0: I'm and of I horses. also,
1: I also have, I love small. Like I love hamsters. I love bunnies. Since the gyms are closed, I've been cycling out to Jericho. Jericho! Erica, and there's all, the bunny, you know, the yeah. bunnies there. So I see them in the morning. Do you when feed I see them? them?
0: I know you're not supposed to. But no, bring, I don't. But I, I bring, say bring hello carrots? to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I don't know why I can't think of my. Favorite television show when I was nine?
0: Was there a cartoon or like a variety show?
1: Oh, I know what it is. It's terrible. I'm so embarrassed. I used to come home from school and I loved watching Love American Style. Do you even remember that? No. It was a series of. um, It was like a little vignettes uh, of. Uh, people, you know, it was about love. And um, it was sort of a precursor to the love boat and all of those things, if you can imagine that. But I, I used to watch that after school.
0: <laughs> but it wasn't for kids, right?
1: It was an adult. I guess it was an adult show, but I, I liked well, it. You
0: liked it. Hey, I used to get home when I was like eight years old and... Watched Young and the Restless because it was on and I followed all the storylines, so you know.
1: You see, and I gave a bad answer. But there you go. That's it. You asked me what I thought.
0: No, and you and you got there eventually, so that's good. Yeah. Um I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what are your thoughts on cats.
1: I like cats. Okay. Um we had cats when I was when I was young. I developed an allergy to them later in life. Oh. I'm okay if I don't touch my eyes, but um I will I haven't had a cat as an adult since I've since I developed that because I although I am also allergic to my dog, but and that doesn't stop me with my dog. But you um, just
0: you just have an antihistamine and deal with it. But yeah, yeah, yeah I just sort of
1: actually, no, I don't like to take antihistamines. I just sort of sneeze no, a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. You
0: live with that. Live with that discomfort. Um, I wouldn't
1: not have one.
0: I guess. I guess I would like to. I mean, we began with some time travel. Okay. Let's end with some time travel. Sure. Let's go back in time to the very beginning of your career so you're you're just you're, you're, you're starting out in the industry mm-hmm. and you get a minute to give yourself some advice like, I'm from the future what do you say or do you not say anything at all
1: I would tell myself to be more confident mm-hmm. um, I have another phrase I talk about how I I only have temporary fits of self-esteem as an actor Um, and so I would want myself to be more confident and although this sort of sounds like it's contradicting what I just said to try not to impose um, and this is like an acting note Um, to try not to impose onto the material and let the material come to you.
0: Mm. Do you think that you would have taken that advice had you had you visited yourself from the future? Probably not. Yeah.
1: Probably not. No. I remember. <laughs> I remember going to auditions when I first got out of drama school, and and I think I was, I would become quite defensive when a director would quite naturally tell me to try uh, try something a different way. Yeah. Because I didn't understand that they were seeing how flexible I was. They were. They were. Tr- and whether I could take direction, I was going. Well, no. That's not my interpretation. I'm not. I don't want to do that.
0: <laughs> I feel like we almost need to be that way, though, when we're you know in our in our early twenties and stuff, and and then have the process of being humbled. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> we have to like grow into it, you know. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um,
0: this has been absolutely a delight. Now, normally, I ask. Uh, I ask our guests where our fans can find you on social media, but are but you on social media? Not, You're not. No, I'm not no. one of those
1: people, so alas, no. you cannot. Wait, again, my husband thinks that's bad of me. I do, I actually, I do have a Facebook page, but I only have it because someone made a fake one for me i i'd done a photo shoot and the makeup artist was hawking a new line of makeup <gasps> and so she created a facebook page for me where i was selling this line of makeup so my husband got in touch with facebook and said you have to take this down yeah. and then he created my page for me but i hardly ever post anything on it i'm terrible
0: your husband is a remarkable actor and human being. He uh, is. In and of I himself. concur. Yes, that's Chris Britton, um, who I should also get in here. And, I'm sure he'd yeah. be delighted. <laughs> and
1: he's funnier than me, so he might be a better interview.
0: You are you're pretty delightful. <laughs> you are. And thank you for entertaining all my Star Trek questions. So I do have one more question. I, What's that? What are, like, because, I mean, you can look at all of my, this room, my listeners know, is filled with. My my various collectibles and uh, you know and you saw next door too like I'm a fan I'm a fa- and I'm a fan of fans and I love I love the work I love BC film like what are you, like is there anything that you are a fan of you know that you would that you would either go to conventions for or. I, I,
1: Again, I I just have to go back to theater, Um, and I probably wouldn't go to a convention. um, But uh, you know, as you say, it's your church, and uh, I have rarely um, taken the time. Like I, I don't think I've ever waited backstage to meet somebody. But um, anecdotally, I remember the very first time I went to New York to see theater, Mm. and I, I'm so old. Um, not Rosencrantz and Gildanette, the Tom Stoppard play, the one that... Oh, oh I can't even remember the title right now. Um, And it had... I can't remember anything. Tom um,
0: Stoppard play, Tom, Arcadia? Yes, thank
1: you very much. I went to see... You saved my life. I went to see... That was Ar- Google. Uh, that's all-hell Google. <laughs> I went to see Arcadia, and it was so wonderful and so perfect and as the play was ending like you could tell this is the last few minutes of the play I was weeping in my seat Mm -hmm. because I thought this is perfect I may never see anything so perfect again this is so wonderful Mm -hmm. and um I've only had i've only had like a couple of experiences in my life where i've sort of felt like things kind of transcended and yeah. got into the magic zone but um they've been on stage yeah. and um so that's you know there's um i theater theater, theater is my church and uh, i love it and i hope it survives
0: it will in some form. I, yeah. I'm just I'm worried about a lot of the the m- medium and small sized companies, you know, or the, or like even the, that the bigger companies will have to do smaller, smaller shows, There's you know, because be you and lo- I have met before, yes. and it was at yes the, the full light of day, yes. you know. with... Uh, I am so
1: envious of Jonathan Young's career. <sighs> Yeah. Because getting to work with Crystal Pite like that, yeah. I, it's so what a gift! What I, a I gift, thought the Trophenite yeah. was such an amazing piece of theater. Yeah, um, theater slash dance. Yeah, but uh, yes, um, that
0: was what. But but that that play. I mean, there was a point towards the end, Amanda and I were like convulsing in our seats just from from sobs. It was so emotional, and I was grateful for it you know because mm-hmm. that's the oh, the kind of experience you know I mean we're, we're there having this communal experience sitting in the dark looking at this you know big light button the lighting for that show was gorgeous as well mm-hmm. but being like wow this is you can't can't have this watching things on your on um, your laptop or on your on your tablet you know
1: no I, I, I do not want to see movies on my iPhone thank you very much yeah, I know I, they're making them but uh, I don't want to see them
0: okay okay please come back I'd love to this was so wonderful I I this is our first time, really speaking. So it, I, is, it was, yeah. and normally, I mean, people who come to the podcast, I've, I've I, I normally know them more than I know it So today was a real discovery, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Well, time. So I'm grateful you to you, much. Sabrina.
1: Thank you very much, and thank you for what you're doing for all of us here. And uh, you know, I love it. I'm, in I'm, I'm YVR.
0: Yeah, in YVR, I'm literally living. I mean, when I was a little girl, eight years old, watching Star Trek, collecting all my my collectibles, I didn't even know that that this was a line of work that I I mean there was no podcasting yeah what was that but to have this experience of getting to know the artists and really understand the work
1: well I my one gift my what it is I mean I consider myself so lucky to been able to do what I've been doing for so long and my my perhaps faint hope uh for a silver lining of covid is that because it will be too expensive to bring up americans for all the roles Mm -hmm. that maybe our our local actors will get more of a shot because i think sadly sometimes the film and television uh industry is great for the crews up here but I still think Canadian actors take a backseat to American actors far more than they should. Mm-hmm. We have the talent here, um, and I hope more of them get the opportunity to strut
0: their stuff. Yes, hopefully this will be a good thing for the indie scene. You know, yeah. maybe the national broadcaster will bring another show back here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, this could, this could, be, a, this could be a good thing. I feel like we have a lot of stuff to talk about off the record, too. So I'm going to let you go. Okay. Okay, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. You may like and subscribe. Leave us a review. You can find all of that at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenscene. The YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger, we really are a family business, for technical support and to Dane Devalay for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene And cut!
2: Hiring professional performers makes all the difference to the success of any recorded media project. Did you know that the Union of BC Performers, ACTRA, provides agreements for all budgets and types of productions, including commercials, TV series, and movies, feature films, from big budget to Canadian indies and student films, animation series, video games, web series, and even streaming video on demand, like Netflix? For instance, our highly successful UBCP ACTRA ultra-low budget agreement encourages and facilitates artistic collaboration between professional performers and independent producers who wish to produce very low budget or even no budget productions. No matter what your budget, we've got you covered and you too can benefit from UBCP ACTRA's award-winning world-class performers. So, if you need actors, voiceover artists, stunt coordinators, stunt performers, singers, dancers, puppeteers, stand-ins, background performers, ranging across any age or demographic, then just contact us at UBCP Actra. Make your project the very best that it can be. This message was read by a UBCP Actra member. Go to UBCP.com for more information.